Hello, dear listeners. Editing Leo here. Just so you know, this episode's reading contains some strong language and somewhat explicit content at one point. So, just so you know, now onto the interview. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Universe podcast. I'm your host, Leo, here with my co-host, Charlotte. Hello. And our guest, Holly. Hello. Holly, this is your first time on the podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, so my name is Holly. I was studying creative writing in Manhattan before I moved to Vienna, but now I'm an English teacher, member of the Universe Creative Writing Society, and I just write when I can. Yeah. Cool. Um, We're going to start with the reading, as always. Holly's going to read an excerpt from chapter two of her story, Chewy Hair, if I got that correctly. And the chapter is titled Mary. Would you like to start right off? Yeah, I'll just start reading. Okay. So, Mary. Mary doesn't wear makeup. Not for any feminist reason, although she's happy to take that kind of credit. She doesn't wear makeup because she doesn't know how it works. There are just so many different shades and brushes, and what is the difference between foundation and concealer and bronzer, and what the fuck is contouring? Mary has a stick of purple eyeliner, chapstick, and dried out mascara at home. They sit on the windowsill by the front door, next to the full-length wavy IKEA mirror, too skinny to mirror Mary's hips. Mary doesn't like to look in the mirror too much anyways. That's the only one in her apartment. That bugs her little sister, but that's kind of the point. Much of what Mary does is only to bug her little sister. It's just so easy. Her little sister is, by standard notions of beauty, gorgeous. She's long and slender. She's blonde with long, shiny, straight-as-a-ruler hair. Her skin is like an olive. She looks Italian, or maybe Swedish, or is it Russian? Whatever it is, Mary's friends are always saying. Her lips are pink and pursed in an everlasting kiss. Mary can't help but think she's always making a face. She's wearing some sort of mask. When her sister laughs, it sounds like a little fairy princess sneezing butterflies and farting rainbows at the same time. It's the same laugh from when she was six years old. She still smiles all the time, too. But, like, isn't that weird? Grow up. Mary lives with her little slender sister. Her name is Persephone. That's Mary's own fault. She remembers the day her sister was born. Mary herself was six, and an angry little six-year-old. She didn't laugh like a little fairy princess sneezing butterflies and farting rainbows at the same time. Mary didn't want to share her G.I. Joes with whatever it was growing in her mom's tummy. Baby board books about nothing other than babies had replaced her bedtime stories. What happened to the sad giving tree that loved until it was a sad little stump? Or the sad little bird that couldn't find its sad mother? Mary had to listen to stories about being a happy big sister or happy little girdling babies. Baby this, baby that. Happy this, happy that. Her parents talked about baby names. Baby Ashley, baby Emily, baby Brianna. Oh, and Mary could call her Bree Bree. How sweet. Mary had perfected the eye roll by her sixth birthday, when her mom's tummy was bigger than Santa's. Mary remembers the day her sister was born because she was in the middle of something very important. That was the day Professor Teddy had his big surgery. Mary had prepared her instruments. She had even asked to borrow the squeaky yellow gloves her dad wore whenever he took all the hairy snakes out of the shower drain. Mary did not want to give Professor Teddy an infection, since Mary's new school for sure hosted a bazillion diseases. The other children frequently peed themselves or ate green stuff from their noses. That day, Mary was not in school. It was a Saturday. It was rainy, and Professor Teddy was scared. Daddy, you promised Professor Teddy would be asleep for the surgery. Mary scolded her father as he thread the needle. His eyes aren't even closed. 
Why do you lie, Daddy? Is Mommy a liar, too? Does that make me a liar? Then, and Mary remembers this next part very clearly, her mother let out a groan from the other room. It reminded Mary of the moving of a cow. Was her mom playing farm without her? Highly unlikely. Her mom had not played farm with her since she got all fat, like Santa. Mary's father dropped the needle and ran so fast that he hit his toe in the doorway. He said all those words Mary was not supposed to say then, but she can say them now. So he said, Holy shit, fuck, fuck, fuckity fuck. I'm coming, my love. Shit, fuck, ow. Mary, go back to your room. Mary was relieved she did not have to go see if her mom was okay. Lately, it was always, How are you feeling, Joan? Or, Can I get you anything, my sweet? Mary's dad used to call Mary my sweet before her mom's tummy got all the cuddles and kisses and tickles and chocolate ice cream. Mary played in her room until Uncle Ray came over. He didn't know how to perform Professor Teddy's surgery, so they played with Mary's G.I. Joes instead. Uncle Ray would get really into it, always making the G.I.s shoot guns and say things like, You're going down, suckers! Nowadays, he says things like, How are your studies? Any cute boys I should be worrying about? Yeah, right. Mary's sister was born in her parents' bed. Mary had gone to sleep to the sound of her mother's mooing, and she woke up to what sounded like a squealing mouse. Mary walked to her parents' bedroom door and stood there. She wondered if she should knock. She did, twice. Her little fist didn't make much noise, not nearly as loud as the mouse's squeals. So Mary knocked again, and then did not stop knocking until she heard her dad say, For fuck's sake! Mary wasn't sure what that meant then, but she thought it probably meant come on in. Mary saw her mom's boobs. A boy in her class tried to touch Mary's boobs once, and Mary had to explain, they're not boobs. Mary's dad was touching her mom's boobs. He was moving them around, smacking the squealing mouse's face with them. Mary's mom kept saying things like, Jesus, Frank, to the left, the left, no, your other left, she won't latch, Jesus, left, Frank, left. Mary watched with Professor Teddy in her hand, her left hand. Mary wasn't stupid, she knew what left meant, unlike Daddy. She wondered how long it would take until her parents noticed her. She wasn't really paying attention to what was probably the new baby everyone kept talking about. Eventually, the thing stopped its choking like cry, and her dad didn't have to play with her mom's boobs anymore. Ah, you're up. Come in, Mary. Come meet your little baby sister, he said. No, thank you. Mary turned around with Professor Teddy and went back to bed. She was tired, after all, and had a big day ahead of her. It was a Sunday. Mary didn't have school. She would have to sterilize her tools again. Today, Professor Teddy would be fixed. Mary told Teddy that. Mary remembers that because later, Mary learned that was the first lie she told. Professor Teddy didn't get fixed that day. Professor Teddy was given to her new baby sister. Thank you. That was great. A bit different than the other chapters from Chewy Hair we've had so far. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was wondering if you would like to elaborate a little bit on the story, like, yeah, yeah. so that the listeners know what it's about. Yeah, well, uh, I kind of just started writing about a character that was inspired from one of our universe meetings, actually, um, which is a different character, the protagonist, Delilah, and this is the antagonist, Mary. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, in the beginning, I've just started writing chapters for each character and creating the characters, which I find much easier than plot. Mm -hmm. And now I'm at the point where there's, we need plot. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so this is a brief or this is a part of Mary's chapter in which, th at this point, the story setting is not as she's a child. She's an adult meeting other people at a bar, and this is kind of a random flashback mm -hmm. that happens. Knowing that the story is about a group of friends, I was wondering how 
each of them kind of came to you, what inspired you? Yeah, um, I'm gonna have to say every character is me in some way, <laughs> you know? Sure. Not that the fat, these are any facts from my life, but <laughs> yeah, I was an angry six-year-old, you know? Mm -hmm. And <laughs> Delilah's character is a little out of her head and yeah, I feel that way sometimes. And I don't know, I kind of just can only write people I know mm -hmm. and I only really know myself, mm -hmm. right? Um, I do have four sisters, so this is not the dynamic with any of my sisters. I should make that very clear. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just kind of play from experiences mm -hmm. and uh, in terms of the friend group and where it's going, I don't really know yet. <laughs> okay, cool. But I like to write characters who, um, yeah, I can relate to, but also are really tangible, like, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Just very, almost average, mm -hmm. and then play with that. So, how is this going to work? You have your set of characters, and then you just let them interact and see how their relation, where, where their relationships take them. Yeah, I kind of initially started an obvious love triangle, which is not the goal of the story, but it's just something that happens. Like you need to have dynamics mm -hmm. between characters. And I've now reached a point where I do know where the story is going. I know where the conflict is going to come. And I'm basically going to play on every character's flaw. And mm -hmm. everything is everyone's fault. And, uh, yeah, I don't want to give much away. Okay, yeah. We, we don't want to be spoiled anyway. <laughs> no, no, of course not. Do you care to say something about the title? Why, why did you choose this title? Or will we hear about that? Yeah, I don't know if it'll stick. I like okay. it. I think it sounds kind of funny. Yeah. And I think you've read the first chapter yes. in which mm -hmm. Delilah is chewing on her hair. Yeah. Um, and the whole, she's kind of obsessing about her hair the whole mm -hmm. time. And I, I really like to tie things back around all the time. So mm -hmm. I have several of my characters repeat the same thing a previous character has said. said. Okay. Um, so maybe it'll come up again. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't know. I just wrote the first chapter, shared it. Didn't know what to say about it. Chewy hair, fine. Mm -hmm. And now everybody calls it chewy hair, so I think it's a good title. Okay. Cool. Yeah, it certainly sticks. I yeah. mean, it's, at least it sticks in the minds. That's for sure. I feel like the text is written in a very particular voice. I know it's just your style, I guess, that's special. Are you trying to vary the voice, kind of, for every character to give every... Because you're very much in the characters' heads all the time, to give them each a voice, or is, is it your voice that's speaking here? Yeah, I kind of um, struggled with that, I guess, because I wanted to try and write from each character's perspective, but always staying in a third-person narration, but it's very close. Right, so there's moments where she says, yeah, right, and you don't know, is it Mary's voice? Is it the narrative's mm -hmm. voice? I don't know. And because each character is in some way me and I'm writing it, I don't know how much I can change my voice, but this is where I've talked sorry, to other writers who write poetry because a lot of the uh, characters are poets, and I thought by inserting their poetry, I can really then give each character their own, their own voice. So maybe the narration is always a little... Um, mean <laughs> and in their head and judgmental but maybe there will be moments where you zoom into a character's own writing and then mm -hmm. it sounds totally different than what is expected mm -hmm. yeah. i think that's a very unique way of describing or yeah, giving voice to characters i've never mm -hmm. heard that before i think like expressing it through their poetry very clever i think 
I I was worried I was going down a path where everyone was just starting to become the same mm-hmm. person, mm-hmm. you know, because I am writing kind of different personalities of my own self, and the, and some of the characters do have similarities. That's the point. That's mm-hmm. what drives their relationships. Um, but I have more fun with the characters that are to come, uh, that are inherently different. Mm-hmm. So I have you know one male character who's not in this group of friends, but he's present. And I have fun writing his uh, story because it's not <laughs> my experience, you know, and it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just I just finished a book today that also did that that gave um, poems when character had written as you know the, the main character read the poems of another character, which was mm-hmm. I thought I thought that, that worked really well mm-hmm. and. It gave you great insight into the other character who wasn't the focalizer of the story. So that was really cool to get a really deep insight into a character, even though you're not in their head at all. I mean, I've read lots of things with letters, and letters always mm-hmm. do a good. So a letter can really surprise you in a novel or in a mm-hmm. text because, yeah, it's all of a sudden very first person, it's very personal, it's mm-hmm. only the hundred words they wrote with their hand in a letter and mm-hmm. it's not reality but it's their own I don't know perception mm-hmm. and I don't really have a format that letters would work and that's why I thought I'd try poetry having no experience with poetry so we'll see how it goes but. Well, yeah, I mean, you said that you wanted maybe to collaborate yeah I might reach out to some other um, writers and I know some who I think would write really great poems for certain characters, mm-hmm. which I know is not really the point of poetry to like fictionalize it necessarily, but I think it could be really fun mm-hmm. to like try and find what someone relates to in a character and that be a prompt for, mm-hmm. I don't know, a poem mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. then speaks about the character. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, I think this could be fun, yeah. I realized that the name you use for writing stories is not. Your like the name really is your name, so I was wondering why you did that. If that was a conscious decision, yeah, I kind of always knew that I would. It's my mother's uh, maiden mm-hmm. name, Hom Girling, mm-hmm. and I like it. And um, yeah, it's it's a bit of a complex thing where I don't love my own last name for I see. personal reasons, mm-hmm. like you know relationships with my father and stuff like that and so even from a young age I wanted to be called Holly Girling Mm -hmm. then I got married and didn't I never did that change Mm -hmm. yet and can't do it after it's kind of confusing so then my husband said he wanted my name I wanted his yes Mm -hmm. and our daughter has both of ours Mm -hmm. and we wanted our family to all have one name so you know Holly Sock Elevens is my name in the real world Mm -hmm. but I still want to hang on to kind of a part of me that always wanted to be Holly Girling mm-hmm. and always wanted to be a writer, you know. Mm-hmm. Kind of, it's a way for me to almost remind myself what I'm doing in the same way that I think when you title a, a, a work, it's a reminder of what you're writing. Mm-hmm. The title can be really important because it's driving me back to what is inspiring you. In a weird way, calling myself Holly Girling when I'm sitting at my computer writing gets me like, okay, I can write this mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. It's That's like really stepping cool. into a writer identity oh, and yeah. stepping oh. into a mom identity. <laughs> it's like... That must be really useful in a way because yeah. it's always you do some so much out so many other things and you don't always write and then 
after not writing after a while, you might feel that you're not actually a writer, but if there's some part of you that you can just step into, and then you're a writer again, that must be really nice. Also, I think in terms of publication, like if, if we should ever like become super famous, it's also good to have a name that's not necessarily your real name, mm. to have yeah. some distance between you and the public. Yeah, and it's, it sounds better. It's to be honest, it does. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, just, it's not. It's not very like common or anything. So yeah, and the hyphenated last name can be a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. true. Yeah, and also it's not too long. It's really good yeah. pen name. You studied creative writing for a while in New York. Mm-hmm. Is there any like big thing you took away from that? How was that like for you? Yeah, well, um, technically, my first year of university was in Colorado, where the story is actually set in mm-hmm. Boulder, Colorado, um, where I didn't know what I wanted to study. So I took some creative writing classes, and my not professor, grad student TA, who led the intro courses, said, you know, you could do this. You should go to a school that has like a real writing program. Mm-hmm. So then I went back to New York. I'm from New Jersey, so I kind of went back home, and I did a year at the new school, and it was tough and it was good I mean I learned more in that year than I can imagine like ever again (laughs) Mm -hmm. and the last session with one of our professors we asked what advice do you have for someone in their 20s who wants to write he said get out of New York you must be working at least two jobs and you're a full-time student okay you're learning stuff in the classroom but you're not writing are Mm -hmm. you and we looked around at each other and we're like yeah we've only written the assigned, and I think any student can relate that when you're a student and working, when do you have time to really do anything creative? Um, and I took that pretty literally, and I left <laughs> New York for other reasons too. And now, in terms of my studies, I might just kind of do the easy thing of having a degree in my pocket, but writing is going to be something I pursue kind of uh, separately, not necessarily in academics, maybe at a master's level one day, but. Yeah, I mean, as much as I took away from learning at the new school, it is also was such a great program that it's intimidating to go find mm-hmm. another one. Uh, is it hard to get in? I don't, I don't know. That's a tough question. I mean, I guess it's yeah. I didn't have the grades I should have to mm-hmm. get in, but I worked really hard on like personal essays and things. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah. I mean, everyone who's there is there. You know, they're really, you're in a room of 10 people who have phenomenal talent and it just, you're in Manhattan and these big personalities and everybody's got their craft Mm -hmm. already. They've got their voice. It was so much different than in Colorado, which was more like, oh, maybe I'll take creative writing, you know, as an elective Mm -hmm. and then going to a fiction writing program Mm -hmm. and you choose, you know, fiction, nonfiction, short stories, novel length. Like it's very particular. Mm -hmm. But I only did it for one year, so I'm sure if I had done it completely, I'd be worlds better than I am now. But I'm glad I had that experience at least. Mm -hmm. That sounds really cool, but also kind of daunting to be in a room with 10 people who are all all really like laser focused on the thing. I really think that it's a shame that in the German speaking area, we don't really, I mean, we do have Mm -hmm. a few creative writing studies, study programs that can be done even in Vienna since a couple of years. But it's not the same. I mean, at the University of Vienna, there is one 
possibility to do creative writing classes at, at the um, translation uh, department. I think I, I took two classes which were about creative writing, and that, but that was everything I could find in the whole... I mean, there's so many things you can study at that university, but... Yeah. Well, it's, I have to say, just <clears throat> I don't think it's just in you know German or English-speaking world. In the U.S., it was pretty hard to find mm -hmm. undergraduate creative mm -hmm. writing. It's kind of assumed you'd be an English major and then mm -hmm. you'd do a master's program, but it's so expensive in the mm -hmm. U.S. And mass, I mean, everyone has their own opinions about master programs, but I didn't want to just be throwing money to find. I didn't want to spend four years trying to get somewhere. Mm -hmm. I want to do it now. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to write now. Mm -hmm. And um, even in high school, I had an interest in creative writing, and I was annoyed that my high school didn't even have... Mm -hmm. We had um, small learning communities for people interested in civics and government, for people interested in social justice, but there was no, like, I just like to write. Mm -hmm. I don't like history. I just want to write creatively mm -hmm. or write liter read literature or whatever. And I started a program in my last couple years of high school, which was about, you know, peer editing. And... Um, Yeah, I think there is a. I think it's a pretty new thing to study mm -hmm. undergraduate. Um, there's much more master's programs everywhere. So coming to Vienna, I knew I would be leaving that. Mm -hmm. Like I made a big choice to leave my, you know, studying creative writing in this university, which is what they do, and going somewhere where it probably was not going to be found. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. yeah. I think there's a lyric cause. Also poetry oh. at the Angebante. I think I, I remember seeing something like that when I it's was. It's called. There's a creative writing like study program at Angebante. It's called Sprachkunst. Oh, yeah, that. I think yeah. there was that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because I looked at that when I was looking at what I wanted to study, but I ended up not doing it. I actually tried to get in, but I didn't. Right. <laughs> was there any procedure? Or what yes. Was the procedure? Um, first, one needed to send in a text. And if they liked it, you got to the second round. I got to the second round, yeah. which was an exam in a way. It was basically, I think, five different tasks where you needed to be, um, I think, spontaneous and witty and creative. Just, this is the title, write a story about anything, do that. And then there was a, a picture of a caricature of something and you had to write a slogan under it uh, and after that exam there was a conversation with like the professors and I guess I mean I flanked the exam I was totally sure of that while I was doing it because I was like okay this does not work I'm not somebody who's creative like right now <laughs> I can't do that and then yeah the talk was a bit strange too I guess because they already I mean sometimes you can feel if there's a good vibe or a bad vibe in the air, and I didn't really feel that I fit there. Mm -hmm. And it was probably a good choice. This is for German? Yes, mm -hmm. it's in Vienna and it's all for German mm -hmm. creative writing. But thinking about it, I sometimes think it might have been good to study it because they may give you some information on public publication and publishing and how to how do you write a cover letter mm. how do you do these things um, or maybe you meet people who work at publishing houses and you have more connections and then you can approach them I don't know it's just something I, I thought about I have no idea if that's how how they do it no I mm. think um, 
that's what you're talking about. I think that's what's so hard about studying studying creative mm-hmm. writing is that it's something you do maybe like late at night or early in the morning at a coffee mm-hmm. house. It's like a very solitary inspired thing. Mm-hmm. And the second it's, you know, assigned prompts. I don't think I've ever handed in any piece of homework, let alone writing on time, you know. And so then to be in an academic place where that's expected of you all the time, it's like, you know, doing the job of something you love. Is it going to kill your love for that thing? Yeah. Any of this procedure to get into these places sounds absolutely horrible to me. Being prompted to write at, like, at once. I can't. That's surprising to me. That's yeah. So... I can't imagine anything like I don't know worse. how they did it back then. I think this was seven years ago, so it's they probably changed the way they do things because it was I think it was the first or second year when I applied uh, and everything was so new that they probably didn't already, yeah know how everything works mm-hmm. then I mean probably the best part about being like the best thing I took away from being at the new school was my the fellow writers in the room mm-hmm. and that's why I'm really glad there's like the universe creative mm-hmm. writing society because I feel like I'm not writing unless I'm read and I mm-hmm. need to not just be reading, you know, the best novels published in 2017 or whatever, mm-hmm. but just to be reading other people also mm-hmm. in progress, to read with people who have a talent and put a completely different voice mm-hmm. and kind of leaning on each other and pulling everybody up. I think that's what's so helpful and what was so helpful in these workshops was that there were 10 of us. We all read each other's works. We thoroughly outlined them before we got there. And then mm-hmm. we just talked about everybody's text for like 30 minutes per text, you know, cool. every twice a week. Mm-hmm. And that kind of feedback and that kind of community, I think, really builds mm-hmm. you as a writer. So as long as you have that community, I feel like that's kind of all you need mm-hmm. in terms of, yeah, how do I publish? No idea. How do you find that stuff out? Do you ever think about that? Is that something you want eventually? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like Dream World, I don't know. We'll see. I have to finish something first. So we'll see if I finish Chewy Hair. <laughs> How was the the atmosphere in these groups? Was it friendly or competitive? Um, I mean, it was Manhattan, so everybody was like running in and running out. You know, it's a go go go. You're in a big city, so it wasn't like my, you know, uh, my comfy CU Boulder campus, which was, you know, let's go to the green and throw a frisbee and let's all go out together. It was, people were there to work. So it was intimidating at first, um, but we got to know each other more and everybody had their own shit. And that's one thing is when you bring your writing, even if you're writing fiction, even if you're writing nonfiction, you know, it doesn't matter. You're really vulnerable. And so to sit there in front of you know, 10 people and have them rip apart something in the most positive way. Not like this was terrible, but just like, what did you mean when you said this word in this sentence in mm-hmm. paragraph seven? Like, Oh my God. <laughs> it's, you know, so intense and you get to know each other's vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. So I got to know some of these people in a way in the classroom that I would not have outside of the classroom. Mm-hmm. I don't talk to any of them anymore, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but I think, uh, it was intense. I don't. I think there's no way for it not to be intense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. Yeah, I I really get that. It, it's 
it's a weird way to get to know people, especially when you join a new group like mm-hmm. the universe and like maybe it's your first or second or third time there and there's mm-hmm. somebody reading a really personal piece, something they wouldn't would never tell you if, mm-hmm. if it weren't for this circumstance. And you think you also meet people who maybe have similar styles or not voices, but I think you start to find people who you might vibe with a little better. So even in a bigger group, you know, in our even though there weren't big groups, maybe there was a maximum 12 people in some of my workshops, but four or five of us had like an email chain where we met once a week mm-hmm. separately. And I know that there are four or five others who met, but mm-hmm. it was clear that there was a bit of a divide, kind mm-hmm. of like high school cliques, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> so I don't know if that's a good thing, but it's good that you meet other people who like your stuff too. Mm-hmm. I remember getting an email from who I thought was like the best writer in the group. And she emailed four of us and she said, hey, I really like your stuff, let's meet. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm in. <laughs> I'm going to make it. Because <laughs> she's the best. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. I was wondering, what, how would you characterize your own style? That's difficult, mm-hmm. I know. But I, I, I keep asking that question, I'm sorry. I know. Well, the reason I don't like that question is because I'm not as well-read as I should be, so I can't, like, just say no, to I, I, I don't want to, like, label anything. Um, yeah. Well, so this project that I'm working on now is fun because it's a different... I, th- I think it's more my style than other stuff I've been mm-hmm. working on. So I've been working on a telling... Um, how I got to Vienna, how I met my husband, this whole big Europe trip that happened. I have a blog, but like writing first person narration is not my thing. And Mm -hmm. I really hate writing it, even though I know it's a good story. Mm -hmm. So I have days where I just don't want to do it. And then this came to me Mm -hmm. and I, Chewy Hair came to me and I got really excited because I felt like I was in my voice again. So maybe I do more frequently write in like a close third, almost Mm -hmm. always. Um, I play with, you know, very short sentences, very run-on sentences. I try to mimic um, natural conversation a little more than, you know, telling a story. And uh, which is why I like characters that I can get into their heads and therefore struggle with plot. Because it's really easy for me to just like ramble Mm -hmm. a character's observations. But the second they have to do something... Action is, like, not easy. So I try to create as much action in my style with as little things happening, if you know what I mean, like changing up the pace. Yes. I, I think mostly what you sent in is really funny. Um, so I guess that's how you also can make put action in there by making it funny. But I don't know, is it a conscious choice to make it funny? Do you also find it funny? Well, I read the first chapter of Delilah to the group. I hadn't written anything more. And people were laughing out loud, and I thought that was so cool. I have to write a next chapter. Uh-huh. Like that's the reason why the story is happening. I don't think I've ever actually written anything funny before, mm-hmm. and I think I knew I was being silly, but I didn't know I was being funny. Um, but to hear people laugh at something you write is a really cool feeling. Mm-hmm. And if it came to me, I wasn't trying to be. Very funny. So okay. I think it's coming a little more naturally than maybe when I write something a little more serious. So I'm going to play with that for a while and see if that's my strength. Yeah. 
It was really fun. It's certainly a strength because every chapter <laughs> is making us laugh so bad. Mm. So yeah, <laughs> good. <laughs> I think I'd call it character driven. Yeah. There's not much plots happening, but there's loads of character there, and just seeing them like interact in the story. It's just you know, one person says something, the other person says something, and it's just it really goes places. That's just really cool. I don't need anything more, really. That's uh, I don't need you know you don't need big action in a story. Yeah, I mean, I much more um, comfortably could say what the character is thinking in their head in response to what someone just said than saying um, you know like a common tagline that you say after a dialogue. So I don't know. If someone says hello, how are you? He said, Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. She said, <laughs> instead, it'll be, how, hey, how are you? Delilah's chewing on her hair today, and she can't stop thinking about the squirrels outside her. You know, it's like, I just totally go off track. But, uh, yeah, I'm always in the character. Always. I just had to think of a film, a German film called Oh Boy, which basically is just, it has a very thin plot. It's just about a guy who wants to drink coffee. That's essentially it. And it also focuses very strongly on the characters. Um, and it was so cool because it wasn't boring at all. It was just about him and he's just trying to drink coffee and it never works out because always something interrupts him. I don't know, his dog bell rings or he, he sees an accident, something like that. And in the end, he finally gets to drink his coffee without interruption. Mm-hmm. And it was so funny because it's so great about him and the people he meets and they are all a bit peculiar and you wonder okay i have no idea what's going on but i don't care because i love it because it's like so cool so i think i don't necessarily think that a story needs to have story Mm -hmm. as long as people like to hear about it and are entertained and the characters are relatable yeah i think it also in a weird way can be more relatable Mm -hmm. you may have a character that someone doesn't identify with but the fact I feel like in life, to get like all big and annoying, but like the problems that we have can be just in our head. You know, mm-hmm. it's not, you know, you ever have a bad day and you're trying to explain to someone why it's a bad day and they're like, but that's not, what are, you just missed the train. Mm-hmm. Like, no, but this and this and this. And I, you know, I didn't have my cup of coffee and then, you know, my, my sock kept falling down in my shoe and it was so annoying. You know, it's all mm-hmm. these stupid little things that create totally. problems and conflict and flaws and people and characters. And so I find that much more fun to explore than like, you know, a bomb went off and the tower exploded and the people were running and there were dinosaurs. And, I don't know. <laughs> Clearly I don't understand plot. <laughs> I, my favorite films and books are usually situations where it's just a bunch of people in a room. Mm-hmm. And yeah, when you explain to someone what happened, you're like, no, oh, nothing happened. But everybody has their own story mm-hmm. intrinsically. And then finding a way to have characters collide is kind of the hard part, I think. Like, if everyone has their own story, and then, you know, I have all these characters. I wrote the first, you know, seven chapters with seven different characters. And they're flashbacks, flashforwards, whatever. And now I have to have them all sit in the room, and something has to happen to all of them. Why are they in this room? You know, why are they in this story? That's now the hard part for me. I can get them, I can get the beginning going. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Breakfast Club comes to mind. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any like influences on your writing? Stuff that you like reading yourself or any favorite authors? I'm really bad at this question because okay. I don't read as often as I should. I'm like a 
So I have, you know, an almost two-year-old and any free time I have is on Netflix. I have to be honest, like it's not reading. Um, and I never was very good at reading a lot. Like I have some favorite books, but I can't even say they're my favorite authors because I haven't read enough of their work to say I like the authors particularly much, you know. But in terms of things that inspire my writing, it's, uh, yeah, I, I don't even know. I mean, when I was in high school, I wrote a story about these people stuck in a bunker um, who were trapped during the end of the world. Maybe my teenage years, in a nutshell. You know? <laughs> now I'm writing a story about all these, you know, flawed people going to bars, which is not something yeah, I don't go out much. And maybe I was sitting at home thinking, oh, I'd really like to go out. Then thinking of reasons why <laughs> that's not cool, and like making myself feel better. And then I write all these characters. You know, like it's kind of probably representative of where I am, mm. my writing. But I can't say that I, yeah, I, I read something, and it. And sparks me to write. Yeah. Were you read a lot of stories as a child by your parents? Like The Giving Tree and Have You Seen My Mother? <laughs> the, sorry, they're children's stories in this chapter. Okay. Um, ah. <laughs> Which we probably don't recognize. No. I don't recognize no. them. Because the giving, you know The Giving Tree? No. Oh, it's a sad children's book. I think I heard about it. It's about the tree who just loves this, loves this boy until it's a sad little stump. Um, no. Uh, Not necessarily. My mom was a single mom a lot of my childhood, and there were three of us, and she was very busy working, so a lot of time was spent in after-school programs and summer camps and things. My dad was far away, so we didn't have much, like, sit-together-and-read kind mm -hmm. of things, but my family is a family of people who read. I mean... I see, okay. I mean, my grandmother, her house is just built of books I think <laughs> she's always reading and yeah they're smart ladies <laughs> because um, I'm asking because I've never I think I've never heard of any anyone who writes creatively without like reading reading a lot that's really interesting okay, I read sometimes <laughs> no uh, because I think to me all these stories that I was read to as a child built the foundation for my later interest in writing stories myself? Yeah, I had a weird... I think I've told you the story before, Leo, where I was in high school in, you know, one of the advanced literature classes, and me and this other girl were always the two who wrote, raised our hands and talked in the discussion, and we led the whole discussions and everything. And one day she wasn't raising her hand because she didn't read the book, and nobody in the class read the book. We were in high school, everybody was ready to go to college, And so I was the only one talking in the class, and the teacher got really angry, and she said, you know, is Holly the only one who read whatever book it was, and stormed out. And everybody looked at me and said, Holly, what happened? I said, I didn't read the book. I didn't. I never read the books. I just had an idea of what the character was probably doing. I kind of could infer from her questions. Like, I was just always really good at um, literature and writing without doing any of the work. That sounds really bad, but it just was something that came kind of naturally to me. And so and it took a while until I realized that creative writing was the place to put that mm -hmm. um, skill that I had. It wasn't something that was really, it wasn't like I thought, ooh, I really want to creatively write. And then I got better and better. It kind of found me, then me finding it, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Do you remember the first story that you ever wrote? Um, I don't know. I think when I was like a preteen, I would start writing really stupid You know, like Princess Diaries, lovey 
short stories, but like never finished them. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time I really wrote something was in high school, which was when I wrote um, the story about people stuck in a mm-hmm. bunker. And that was actually inspired from an acting camp I went to where we had to create our own characters for an acting exercise. Mm-hmm. And then I took that character home with me and started writing about okay. it because my strength in this acting camp was creating the characters. And most of the others had a really, were really great at portraying the character, but couldn't quite create them. And I was the one sitting there like, oh, and this could happen. You know, mm-hmm. I was writing in speech before I was <laughs> writing on paper, if that makes okay. sense. That's really cool. Yeah. But like going back to like that reading for writing thing, I, as a kid, I read like fantasy books and mm-hmm. I never read any poetry and I started writing poetry long before I started reading poetry. Mm-hmm. And even now that I try to read more poetry, I don't really think that the reading of poetry has any direct influence on me on whether I write and also on what and how. Maybe indirectly, maybe it comes back some... I, I don't know, maybe I'll get, I, my hope at least is that I'll get better through reading other people's poetry. But I read poetry because I enjoy it and I write poetry because I enjoy it. And they don't, they aren't, they aren't necessarily connected to each other. And I think I take a lot more from going to the universe meetings and hearing other little projects people are working on. Like I think this sparked from something someone. I don't know if I should mention, but someone particularly shared a story and I really liked it. And then I went home and I was like, oh, I could kind of do that. Like, mm-hmm. it's kind of, I wasn't trying to do the same thing, mm-hmm. but I could do that whole, yeah, going out in my 20s story. Mm-hmm. And then I started my own. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because it's more relatable than like picking a book off of a book bookshelf. Like, how do you even choose what book you're going to read mm-hmm. in the time? You yeah. Like, I'm always stressed out. Do I... I do I pick the book I know it has won all the awards and is excellent and a book I should have read or do I read a piece of crap because you know but then again I think it's always really hard to say what is a classic and what deserves exactly. all the awards because a certain amount of people said okay wow this is genius and then I might read it and be like, oh my god, this is the most boring thing I've ever read. Please stop torturing me with this. And who decides, right? Who decides what's a great novel and what's not? Exactly. I think when you're in a community, like I've mentioned a few times with other writers, and you Mm -hmm. know them personally, and you're living in the same space, yeah, that's a little much more relatable, even if the writing is completely different, Mm -hmm. you know, and not finished. It's still inspiring. Recently, I read a book because it was in my bookshelf and I hadn't read it yet and by coincidence I loved it to bits because I think it was written so well also it doesn't really have a story I mean it does have a story but it's a weird story it's a story in a story in a story and none of them is really finished but it doesn't matter because it's written so well and the characters are so cool and that's so nice when that just happens so you just pick a random book out of your shelf and oh let's try this Mm -hmm. but the opposite also sometimes happens that you're like, okay, I'm finally now going to read this book because everybody says it's so great. And then you read it and you're like, huh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I started just going to the library and I, I found the the modern English poetry section that now I'm just going there and randomly picking books that look new-ish mm-hmm. out from the shelves and taking them home and cool. reading them. It never came to me before that you could just go to the uni library. I mean, there's like so many books in the library, you don't need to buy any books at all. You could just go there and borrow them. 
I know, but it's, it is fun to build your own bookshelf, too. Yes, you know, I, moved, I agree. I moved in with my husband, and he has you know his bookshelf, and I came with, like, three books <laughs> from the U.S., and now I get to build my bookshelf, which means I've actually probably bought more books than I've read. Like, there are a few that I've started that I didn't really like, mm-hmm. but they're on my bookshelf, and I feel like when people look at your bookshelf, they know a little bit about who you are, and you want to... Yeah. It's like a, like your, I don't know, Facebook profile. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I think like that as well. Even though, I mean, it's a bit weird. It's also a bit problematic, but books kind of are a bit like a trophy wall. You can show mm-hmm. all, the, all the books you've conquered, I guess, or read. Those, I mean, when, when you're on Netflix and you see something that you love, <clears throat> does it happen to you that it, it inspires you to write? Yeah, I will say that I feel like I shouldn't say it out loud, but it's true. I mean, I watch a lot of TV. I think I watch some good TV and some bad TV. I think there is I think there is good TV, and I think some shows are really well-written mm-hmm. as well. And there was a period of time where I wanted to write for the screen also, mm-hmm. so I have a pretty good appreciation for film and TV when it's mm-hmm. yeah, really well-written. And obviously I go through binge phases of watching you know, a sitcom I love, but there are times where you know, I fall into a show and... Yeah, I am this show. I am this character, and uh-huh. maybe it sparks some kind of—I uh, don't know—some part of me. I can't think of any specifics at the moment, but like, I don't know. If I watch Grace and Frankie, like three seasons in you know twenty minutes, um, then all I talk about is Grace and Frankie. So like, it would be naive to think that that doesn't influence my writing mm-hmm. too. <laughs> that maybe I get really into writing an all-female story because I've watched you know story about mm-hmm. two strong females and I'm like yeah that's so cool that was cool you know I love that show <laughs> Charlotte you said yesterday that you're very influenced by Outlander right at the now. moment at the moment yeah it's it's a problem it's a problem <laughs> because I don't necessarily like it but I can't stop watching it yeah which is okay. really weird because parts of it I adore and parts of it I really actually hate or find really shallow or dumb mm-hmm. but then I'm like I have to keep watching as my hand is <laughs> doing something. It's clicking on next episode without my brain. The fact that I think it used to count down from 15 seconds and now it counts down from like five on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, that was a curse. Mm-hmm. What was always, what was once, oh, I'll just watch one episode, one 50 minute episode of a show is now like three and a half hours later. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. Do you have any place on the internet where you put your stuff? Well, yeah, so I do have this blog I talked about, which I didn't really advertise because I already said I'm not loving it, but um, it's wanderlustandsoggypages.wordpress.com, and that's a story of, yeah, how I got to Vienna. And like I said, it's a good story. Like, mm-hmm. Everything bad that could possibly happen on a trip happens, <laughs> but it led to me being married in Austria with a child, so <laughs> happy ending. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Everything else I work on is... Or for the group, for the universe meetings, mostly. So we can say to the people listening is come to the meetings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. come to the universe meetings. Would you again plug your um, blog? No, people know by now. Uh, do you think so? Yes. Even if people start with the news episode? Yes, they can. They just have to listen to other episodes or read oh. about them. One okay. Find my blog in the previous episode, previous podcast. Yes. Okay, I won't stop plugging my Twitter. Okay. I'll yeah. just say it again. It's okay. at Leo Engelmeyer. Check it out. 
This was episode 15 of the Universe podcast. If you enjoyed it and would like to hear more of us, make sure to subscribe to the Universe podcast wherever you're listening to it. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review to tell us what you think and help other people find the podcast. And tell all your friends about it. Comments? Questions? You can reach us on Twitter. We're at PodUniverse on Facebook, or on our email address, podcast at universe.univ.org. This podcast was edited and hosted by Leonhard Engelmeyer. The co-host was Charlotte Zerz. Our guest in this episode was Holly Sachal-Evans. On the editorial board for this episode was also Charlotte Zerz. And you. And me, of course, but I'm always on the editorial board. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I hope you visit this planet and the universe again. In the meantime, stay safe in space. Thanks for listening.